In this new sermon series, we are going to learn about the Lord's Prayer. The only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Jesus answered, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave the disciples, and us, a template for prayer. This morning, our pastor Alan Duncalf starts with the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Whenever Christians go into prayer, we enter the throne room of God. We have access to God's presence because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we pray, Our Father in heaven, we are entering into His Eden headquarters to confer with Him. More than that, we're being reminded that we are His holy people, called to live a holy life worshiping Him and doing His will. The Bible says that the name, His name, represents His presence. The name is actually a title for God. His name was in the burning bush. His name was in the tabernacle where the pillar of fire burned by day and His name was in every believer on the day of Pentecost. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are asking God for grace to live holy lives since His name dwells within us. This is why we are called Christians, Christians. Revelation 22.4 says, And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. The opening lines of this prayer reveal a glorious truth. God is in us and expects us to live holy lives in step with his rule and kingdom purposes. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. So the, the little skit that you saw was of the famous Susanna Wesley, who had just a small little home, a house full of kids. I don't think, I don't think that uh, the number of kids represented in the skit represented the number that were actually in the family. And Susanna Wesley, what she would do very famously is when she wanted to meet with God, when she wanted to escape her family and her kids, she would simply throw her, her um, 
apron over her head and get away from her family and get into the presence of God. We're going to talk to you this morning a little bit about what it means to get into the presence of God. Uh, we're going to teach you how to pray. For many of us, our idea of prayer is uh, I'm in trouble and we run to God, we fall on our face, we run to the pastor, we call the prayer chain and it's, it's sort of helpless cries for for help. God, help me, help me. People, help me. Somebody help me. I'm in trouble. I'm drowning. I'm not going to make it. Jesus teaches us a, a new way to pray. It's not a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of confidence. Jesus teaches us how to connect with God and gain power, gain strength, gain what we need to see all of our needs met, and not just to see our needs met, but more importantly, to fall in line with what God wants in our lives. Now, that's really what the Lord's Prayer is all about, and we're going to find out uh, uh, what this is all about over the next five weeks. And so my prayer, my great prayer, is that everybody here will become conversant and able, capable in praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you had the opportunity to spend time with Jesus as the disciples did, what would you ask him, and maybe even more importantly, what would you ask him to teach you? I was thinking about the life of Christ and some of the amazing things he did. Some of you will remember how Jesus took just a few loaves and a few fishes and multiplied them so that over 5,000 people uh, were fed. And uh, I thought, man, that would be something that would be cool if Jesus could teach me how to do that. I wondered if the disciples wondered if Jesus was going to teach them how to do that. And then there was a time that Jesus walked on the water. Now, how cool would it be if you and I could learn how to walk on water? Um, and then, of course, when Jesus raised people from the dead. I mean, that would just be so convenient at funerals. That's what I thought. And then, but how about healing people? No more going to the doctor. No more paying for expensive medications. You'll notice it that the disciples didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, could you teach me how to be a great leader or how to be a great preacher or a great teacher? They didn't ask him that. There was one thing that disciples asked Jesus to teach them, and that was how to pray. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you're going to discover that Luke is constantly referencing the times that Jesus got away, got alone with God. Luke's Gospel is really the Gospel of Prayer because it talks about how Jesus is constantly meeting with, with, with the Father. Now, I, I think what's happening now is the disciples are watching Jesus. Every time he comes back from these seasons of prayer, he's, he's changed, he's refreshed, he's encouraged, he's, he's emboldened, he's got confidence, he's, he knows exactly what to do, where to go, he knows what has to happen next. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, we want to learn how to do that. We want to know what it is to have that kind of power, that kind of clarity of thought. We want to know what it means to be guided by God the way that you're guided by God. In fact, God, Jesus, we want to know how we can be empowered to do miracles the way that you do them. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? This is the only thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. And so here's what Jesus' response is. He says, pray like this, or in Luke's gospel, which is the other version of the Lord's prayer, it says, when you pray, say this. 
So what's happening here is Jesus is saying, whenever you pray, this is how you should pray. Now, for a lot of us, a lot of us here don't pray the Lord's Prayer every day, unless we, we maybe, maybe quickly recite it, but we don't really pray it the way Jesus intended it. Jesus clearly says, when you pray, this is how to do it. This is how you pray. Do it like this. Now, over the years, I've seen a lot of well-intentioned, good pastors, uh, good teachers, disciplers, who have come up with uh, models for prayer. Pray, for instance, there's the Acts model of prayer, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Uh, most people don't even know what the word supplication means. But why would you come up with a new model for prayer when Jesus has already given us one? Jesus has given us the model called the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Once you learn how to properly pray through the Lord's Prayer every day, it will radically change your prayer life. In fact, it will radically change your relationship with God because one of the things that we teach here is a first habit of every Christ follower, every serious Christ follower, is that you have a daily walk with God. And by a daily walk with God, we're simply saying praying and reading your Bible every day. The problem is, is that most people don't know how to pray. And so what we're going to do is over the next five weeks, we're going to be discussing how to pray this prayer. And I'm going to tell you the difference uh, to your prayer life will be the like the difference between watching a movie on your TV at home versus on IMAX 3D. That's the transformation. It'll be absolutely stunning. You'll be amazed at what happens when you properly begin to develop this habit of praying through the Lord's Prayer. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually read Matthew chapter 6 right now. And I'm going to read you the preamble leading up to the prayer itself. And then here's the thing, folks. Um, Verse 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6 is actually some footnotes related to this prayer. So let me just read this to you. So Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Now, by the way, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite simply means an actor. Don't be like the actors the people who are pretending, the people who are acting like they're Christians or acting like they're religious. He's obviously referring to the Pharisees and other religious types. And he says here, those who pray in public so that everybody can see them, oh God, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, you're so lucky to have me as, as your son. I am truly one of the most spiritual people in this place, in this city, in this town. God, you're lucky to have me. Jesus says those who pray like that will get their reward here on this earth. What's he saying? He's saying, well, you're going to get your answer to your prayer. You are obviously looking for for the approval and the adoration of human beings, and that's what you're going to get. But those who are not like the hypocrites, those who pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, and he tells us in verse 6, he says, when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, or in Susanna Wesley's case, she put her apron over her head, Um, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And by reward you, we're not saying that, you know, you you did good, so I'm going to give you a biscuit. Or, you know, like Nicholas, when he was learning how to play piano, every time he, he played through, you know, a couple bars correctly without making a mistake, we'd give him uh, a smarty. 
or a skittle or something like that as a reward. That's not what we're talking about here. God's not sort of standing in heaven ready to, to, you know, to, to dole out smarties every time you pray a prayer. No, what he's saying is, if you pray like this, as, as it says here in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 6, if you pray in quiet, in private, if you shut the door, if it's just you and God meeting together, then Jesus says, you're going you're gonna to get what you're praying for. You're going you're gonna to find those answers to prayer that you're looking for. Now, we go on to verse 7, and it says, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people uh, of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Jesus says, therefore, pray like this. Now, did you notice here, it says, don't be like these, these pagans who babble on and on, because God knows what you need even before you ask him. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to point something out to you. The Lord's Prayer is, can be divided into six petitions. And interestingly, it doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. The first three petitions focuses on God, and the last three petitions focuses on us and our needs. I think this is one of the most brilliant things that, uh, that has ever been revealed in Scripture. God understands that when we focus on Him, everything now comes into perspective. When I get my eyes off of myself, off of my problems, my fears, my worries, my concerns, when I get my eyes focused on the omnipotent God, the omniscient God, the omnipresent God, the God who is everywhere, who knows everything, who's all-powerful, when I get focused on him, then suddenly, folks, my faith arises, and I understand that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is what it means to pray this prayer. Your focus is off of you and your needs. When I'm in trouble, when I've got problems, my first instinct is to go to God and start pouring out all my problems to God. Oh, God, help. I'm in need. I need this. I need that. I'm short of money. I, I got problems with my health and, and my car, my house, whatever. God says, don't start that way. Start with me. Focus on me. Focus on, on, on the one who is able to help you and do exactly what needs to be done in your life. And then Jesus says, Pray like this. When you pray, this is how to do it. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. And uh, when we get to that part where it says, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, debts, whatever, I want you to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Some of you learned it as, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or forgive us our debts as we forgive those, or as we forgive our debtors. But we're going to call it sin. Because it's transgression. It really is. It's, debt. It's, it's when somebody takes advantage of you, when somebody has let you down, when somebody has done something bad towards you, you need to understand that we too are guilty before God for sinning against God. So we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together, and uh, here we go, just so, that, just so that you know what we're talking about this morning. So if you can just join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's something that I want to point out to you about this Lord's Prayer. First of all, this prayer is not for everyone. Even though this prayer, uh, we used to say it in school. How many remember the days when you had to say the Lord's Prayer every, every day in school? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, the day would begin with a teacher reading a passage of Scripture, which is, just blows my mind that that used to happen in our schools, in, in Winnipeg School Division Number 1, of all things. And then we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. Now, for many of us, uh, it was, we, knew it, we knew it by memory, we knew it by heart, but it didn't mean anything to us. We just sort of mechanically said it. Our Father who art in heaven, I'll obey thy kingdom come, thy will be. Not thinking about it, it's done, Whew, we can get on with the day, it's over with. Understand, this prayer is not for everybody. It's a prayer for Christians. It's a prayer for those who follow Christ. Because in this prayer, we discover the whole Christian life, and we discover what it is that we need to ask God for concerning this Christian life. Without Christ, this prayer is just meaningless gibberish. It's gobbledygook. It's, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't make sense. And it, it's also not uh, a religious incantation. Some people recite this Lord's Prayer uh, at different kinds of meetings and public gatherings, whatever, as if somehow, some way, it's, you know, we, we did abracadabra, wave the magic wand over the proceedings, and, and that's that. The Lord's Prayer is not uh, a religious incantation. And it's not meant to be recited as penance as in, say, five Hail Marys and ten Our Fathers. That's not what this prayer is all about. It's not sort of something you recite as punishment for your sins. Jesus warns against this, about those who go on babbling, and, and, uh, and Jesus says that's not the way to do it. Look, look what it says here. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating these, their words again and again. So again, the Lord's Prayer then is not sort of religious incantation. We don't just recite it because uh, it's the thing to do. It's not meaningless words. These words are very powerful, and I'm praying that it will revolutionize your prayer life. Now, this prayer life, this, this prayer is actually an outline. When we prayed that prayer, it's an outline uh, when I was in high school, we learned how to, how to write essays, and the thing that you had to do is you had to come up with a, with a main idea, and then you come up with an, uh, with an introduction, and you got to then have the body of your essay, and then your conclusion. And it's just a skeleton. It's just an outline. And then our teacher said, what you have to do once you've created your skeleton is that you've got to put flesh on the skeleton. Well, really, that's what the prayer is. You have this outline of what things you need to touch on when you pray, and then the Bible says that we need to uh, put flesh on it. In other words, we have got to begin to pray around that outline. Now, I, again, I just want to just let you know that this prayer, consisting of six petitions, first focuses on God, the first three petitions focus on God, and the last three focus on our needs. Now, here's what I've discovered after praying this prayer for over 30 years. I pray this every day. Sometimes I pray it more than once a day. Uh, I like Dr. Po Young-Gi Cho, who's, who, uh, who wrote a wonderful book on it, uh, a Korean, South Korean pastor. Uh, he, 
he uh, said what he would do is he would run laps. In other words, throughout the course of the day, he'd be praying that prayer through over and over and over again. Not just the outline, but he would, as things came up uh, in the course of the day, uh, he, would, he would run through that prayer and, and, and cover basically everything that he needs to pray about. Now, isn't it wonderful, folks, when you and I go into prayer, we don't have to try to figure out what to say, because that's the problem with many of us. We say, well, you know, I'll pray, but man, I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm too scared to pray in public because I don't know what I'm supposed to be praying about. And how do I know I'm asking for the right thing? And how do I know I'm not asking for the wrong thing? And, and, uh, and who do I address? And am I supposed to address the Holy Spirit or Jesus or God? or uh, What am I supposed to say? Well, in the prayer, Jesus tells us exactly what to pray and tells us exactly how to pray. So all the bases are covered. We know exactly what's supposed to happen when we pray. So let's take a look at that very first petition then. And uh, you'll notice that it's a two-part petition. Our Father in heaven and hallowed be your name. I like the way that the New Living Translation puts it. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. A lot of people struggle with that, hallowed be your name. You have no idea what that means. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, let's focus on the Our Father. The first thing you recognize then, it's Our Father. We recognize that we are part of a family. Anybody who has this notion, this idea that you can live your Christian life all alone, detached and, and disconnected from other believers, you simply do not understand God's, God's plan for every believer. God's plan for every believer is that you are part of a family whose father is God. So that's the first thing we need to understand. The term father is is used only a few times in the Old Testament. In fact, there's two passages of Scripture that refers to God as the Father of Israel, and that's it. But when we get to the New Testament, suddenly Jesus is, is revealing to us who God is. He's revealing stuff to us that nobody had ever seen before, nobody understood. God is the Father, and it's Jesus' favorite name for the Father, for God. In the first three Gospels, Jesus uses the term or the name Father 65 times. And then in the fourth Gospel of John, Jesus is referring to God as Father over 100 times. And so you recognize that Jesus wants us to understand something about our relationship to God. So here's what I discovered as a father. Uh, I, I always say this, that becoming a father is what helped me understand who God is uh, better than just about anything I've ever experienced in my life. When I became a father and my kids made mistakes, I discovered that there's nothing that my kids could do that would make me hate them or not love them anymore. I will love my kids till the day I die. I will love them, I will care for them, I will do whatever I can to help them and to meet their needs because that's what a father is, that's what a father does. And I as an earthly father know how to do good things and give good gifts to my kids to my own children, how much more, the Bible says, does our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? So get, get to what's happening here, folks. Jesus is describing to us our relationship with the Father. When you go into prayer, you are going to somebody who loves you and cares about you. For some of us, we have a very wrong idea of who God is. We're afraid to go into prayer. And I believe this is one of Satan's great strategies to keep you from praying. 
Satan has suggested to you that because of your sin, because you've made mistakes, because you have failed, because you've made, you've goofed up, God has rejected you. Satan has whispered into your ear, God doesn't love you anymore. Uh, God, uh, God's angry at you. Uh, you better stay away from God because if you come back to God, God's going to let you have it. But that's not who God is. It's interesting, folks. Listen to this. We, we, when Jesus refers to God, in, in our Bibles, it refers to him as Father. But actually, uh, Jesus used the Aramaic, Aramaic term, which is actually Abba. When we say Father, that's sort of a formal title uh, for our earthly father. And then we have another term, it's Daddy. And that's the informal. And it's warm and it's cozy, it's cuddly. Uh, there's there's, there's, uh, there's a, a warmth about it. Well, that's actually the term that Jesus uses to refer to God. Jesus refers to his his father as Abba, as Daddy. He wants us to understand our relationship to God and God's willingness to help you and and to hear your prayer and to hear your petition and to guide you and to strengthen you and to protect you and to provide for you in whatever way that you feel you have need. Because that's who our Father is. I'm going to do everything in my power to care for my kids, and how much more then will my Father in heaven provide for me and meet my needs and love me and care for me and help me? Jesus wants us to understand that about who God is. He wants us to recognize our relationship to God. Do you know, when we were in our building program here, I was working probably, uh, oh, I don't know, sometimes 16, 17 hours a day uh, for a few years. And uh, Nicholas was very young at the time. And I didn't see the kids as much as I would like to have seen them. And one day, uh, I came home, uh, a long day, working hard here at the church, building it, preparing it. And, uh, and Nicholas was very upset about something. And I can't, I can't recall what it was that he was upset about, but it was something that I could help him with, and it wasn't a problem. And I, I wanted to convey that to him. I wanted to say, Nicholas... I'm your dad. I'm here. I love you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to help you. You don't have anything to worry about. And I, I said to him, do you know who I am? Because I wanted to think about this. Yeah, this is my dad. But you know what he said? He says, I know who you are. You're Pastor Allen. And then I knew I had a problem. He's not seeing me as a father who was protecting him and helping him and caring for him. He saw me as somebody distant. You know, so often that's what many of us do when we when it comes time for praying, God's distant. He won't love me. He won't care about me. He's not interested in my needs. But I want you to know today, Jesus makes us understand very clearly in this prayer that we're addressing a Father who cares about us and loves us. Now, you'll notice it says, our Father in heaven. In the Jewish mind, they clearly understood that when we talk about heaven, we're talking about God on his throne. Uh, back uh, a few months ago, we did a series here called Eden, the Kingdom of God, or the Kingdom of Heaven. And we recognize that, that uh, heaven is God's headquarters. That's his throne room. And by the way, this is, uh, this is sort of what we're trying to, trying to evoke here. So thankful for the people who decorated this. But it's a, it's a taste of the Garden of Eden. Do you know that every time you close your eyes and go into prayer, you are going into the throne room of God. You're going into the Garden of Eden where God's throne is. You're meeting with God. You're conferring with him. You're conferring with the Father. 
You're going to tell the Father about the things that are on your heart. Look at this, folks. It's a discussion. It's a conversation. You're, you're not just going to him with your, with your prayer, uh, prayer list and, and reading through your prayer list. You're going to hear the voice of God. You're going to confer a conference with him in the throne room. And that's why we, we have this, read this scripture here in Luke, uh, Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. This is what you and I have, folks, through Jesus Christ. We're able to come to the throne room of God. We're able to come to the throne of God boldly. We're able to come into his presence because of Jesus. And so every time you and I begin this prayer, we're, we're entering into the throne room of God and we are praising and we are worshiping the God of heaven. We are giving him thanks for Jesus Christ. We're giving him thanks for the grace and the mercy that's here. Do you see that? What does this imply? It implies that every single person who comes to God in prayer is imperfect. I don't know, I don't want to shock you this morning that the person sitting beside you this morning is a sinner in need of God's grace. That came as a shock. You thought there was all perfect people here today. But we're not. Every one of us needs God's grace. Every one of us needs God's mercy. But the reason we're able to come to the throne of God is not because of our good works or because we're so perfect or so good. It's because Jesus is. And so we come into the throne room of God. We say, our Father in heaven, and we worship him, and we praise him, and we thank him, understanding that he is and does want relationship with us. I, I like what Paul says to the Ephesians. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. It's easy, folks, for us to forget that God is sovereign over all. It's easy to become fearful and think that Satan is winning. But when you come to the Father, into the very throne room of God, the throne of heaven that is above the earth, the Bible says that the earth is God's footstool. When you understand who you're praying to and understand that Satan is a defeated foe in God's sight, suddenly, folks, faith arises in your heart and you begin to understand that, that all things are possible through God. And that's why you pray, our Father in heaven. And then it says, hallowed be your name. Now, this is this has really uh, caused a lot of people to stumble over the years. They really don't know what that means. And I like, again, what the NLT says in New Living Translation. May your name be kept holy. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, let me give you some background so you understand what we mean by keeping God's name holy. Uh, God warns the Israelites in Leviticus 22:32. He says, Do not bring shame on my holy name, for I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. When you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you'll find that the name of God is constantly evoked. Everything is in the name of our holy God, for God's namesake, for his namesake. God makes me lie down in green pastures for his namesake. We find out that his name reflects who he is. He is our Father, and that's the first thing that you need to understand. 
Now, some people, they have this notion, this idea that when it comes to this part of the prayer where it says, may your name be kept holy, that somehow we're supposed to be praying through all the names of God. Jehovah Jaffa, Jehovah Nisi, and Jehovah Jireh, and so on and so forth. That's not what that's not what's intended here, because if we're going to go through the names of God, you're going to have to go through over 900 titles and names for God and descriptions of God. If you went through 900 names of God every time you went into prayer, uh, quite frankly, that's all you'd be doing all day is going through the names of God. Obviously, it means more than that. And I would submit to you today that when Jesus says, pray, may your name be kept holy, what, God, what Jesus is saying is we need to ask God to keep his name holy in us. Because you and I carry the name of God. That's why we are called Christians, Christians. We have the name of Christ. In the Old Testament, we, we saw this in the last series on, on Eden, when the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, descended upon the tabernacle, the place where Israel worshipped, God's presence was represented by a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And it represented God's presence. And, and here's what it says. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy 14, 23, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. Now, forget the tithe part, because that's not what this part of the message is about. I want you to see what follows that. The designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the place where God's name was honored. In other words, it was the place, the tabernacle was a place where God could be known, where God could be discovered. It was a place where the world could come and worship God and discover God because it was at the tabernacle that his name was honored. Now we get to the New Testament and things dramatically change. God's Shekinah glory is revealed on uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, whereas the Shekinah glory was over the tabernacle in the Old Testament, we get to the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers in the upper room, and now everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ receives that powerful Holy Spirit resting upon him, and that's why we, we see that picture of the, of the believers praying with tongues of fire over their head. Why? Because God's name now is not just in a tabernacle built by the hands of men. It is now in every believer, every person who calls himself or herself a Christian. God's name is in you. Now let the Spirit of God speak to you. Because for so many of us who call ourselves Christians, we have brought shame on the name of God. And God explicitly warns the believers, do not bring shame on my holy name. This is said over and over and over again in the Old Testament. How many of us have stories of people we know who are turned off of God and turned off of the church because somebody who called himself or herself a Christian acted in a way that was very ungodly or very unchristian? And you've heard bitter people say, don't talk to me about Christ. Don't talk to me about the church. Do you know what he did to me? You know that guy who called himself a Christian? Man, you should see how he screwed me out of this and, 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 and ripped me off and cheated me. I hear stories like that all the time. In fact, I hear businessmen say, man, when it comes to doing business, I prefer not to do it with Christians. 
This is, this is shocking and shameful. And God says that his name must be kept holy. That means the way you live your life, the way I live my life, has got to bring glory to my God because his name is in me and on me. This is why we teach you to pray and teach you to live out that third habit, that moment-by-moment holiness. So when you're praying, hallowed be your name, may your name be kept holy, what you're saying is, God, and you need to pray this every day, God, let your Holy Spirit rest upon me afresh and anew this day. Fill me afresh with your Spirit that I may be a true reflection of who you are. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that we're supposed to be the salt and the light of the earth. You always read that passage of Scripture as a... As, a, as teaching for Christians, but it's not. It was teaching for Jews. Jesus was speaking to Jewish people, and he was saying, as Jews, you understand that your responsibility is to be the salt and the light of the earth. When people see you, they should see God. The way you live your life ought to bring salt to your community. Salt is a preservative. Wherever you go, your surroundings, your environment should be improved because you're there. Now, you see why Jesus tells us to pray. Hallowed be your name. God, and I hope this morning, this will revolutionize your prayer life. Before you leave the house in the morning, you need to say, God, let your name be kept holy in my life. Or another way of saying it is, holyize your name in my life. To coin a new word, holyize it, God. In other words, when I leave my house in the morning, I need to go as God's holy vessel because, folks, listen to me, as a Christian, you are an agent of God, a holy vessel. The word holy simply means to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, can you imagine if every Christian understood that he or she is holy? When we talk about the saints, that's really, we're talking about holy people, but you know, for some of us, we come from a Catholic tradition and we believe that saints are some kind of people who are, are up there somewhere. We're down here and they're up there. Uh, that's, that's just, uh, you know, forgive me and I'll do respect. That's just an erroneous view, an erroneous idea, an erroneous reading of Scripture. Everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian is in fact a saint. You are a saint. You are a holy one. And your job is to bring glory and honor to God through the way that you live your life. And so God says, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored is now you. If you're a Christian today, you are the place where God wants to honor his name. And now suddenly you understand the importance of this prayer that we pray. God I worship you and praise you that you're my father and I can come to your throne with all my petitions and needs because of Jesus. You begin by worshiping and praising him, understanding with your eyes closed that you are in the presence of the Garden of Eden. You are in the throne room of God. And now you're saying, God, as your vessel God, make me holy even as you are holy so that when I leave my house this morning, wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, I want to bring glory to your name. 
You see why this prayer is for Christians only? It's only for God's people, for people who are set apart for God's purposes. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. And I'm gonna just pray that first petition. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put flesh on the bones, as it were. Our Father, thank you. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus, who's made it possible for us to come into your presence. Thank you for Jesus, who makes it possible for us to come with our petitions and our needs. Father, we recognize we are in your very throne room. We are in the Garden of Eden, your headquarters. And here in your garden, Father, we're here to hear your voice. And God, we're here to share with you what's on our hearts. And God, as we're here this morning, you see our various needs. You see that broken heart. You see that confused mind, that confused heart, that troubled heart, that one who's looking for guidance and direction in their life. You see that one who's struggling financially, that one struggling with, with fears, irrational fears. You see that one who's, who's got health problems. Father, thank you today that you are greater than every, every need represented here. We thank you, O God, that Jesus Christ is our victor. We thank you, Lord, that he is greater than, than he that is in the world. And we pray this morning, Father, that your name would be kept holy in us. As your holy vessels, we pray that as we go from this place, we would go as people speaking the word of God and acting as true believers, bringing light and salt to wherever we go. We thank you today, Lord, for this prayer that you've taught us. We pray that over the next few weeks, we would become truly skilled in praying this prayer and that we would begin to experience God in a whole new way. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Now go with us as we go from this place, and we thank you for your grace. And everyone said it? Okay. Tell the person beside you, go pray the Lord's Prayer.